Welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock at our headquarters in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking with Utah CIO Mike Hussey. Not only is Mike a CIO, but he's also a co-chair of our National Innovation Forum and a member of the NACIO Executive Committee. Mike, welcome and thanks so much for joining us on NACIO Voices. Well, hey, thanks, Amy and Matt. Thanks for having me on uh, on the podcast. I'm a uh, Long-time listener and excited to be participant. The first-time caller. First-time yes. Caller. <laughs> Thanks again for your time, Mike. And uh, we have plenty of questions for you today about your work in Utah. But we always like to start our interviews by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up as the state CIO of Utah. You've been in state government for quite a while, correct? That's correct. I, I have been uh, the past 23, 24 years in state government. But uh, prior to that, I think what's really kind of greased the skids for me was having an opportunity to work for the University of Utah. It was at the time when the, it was a hotbed of technology. The, the dot-coms were booming. The technology was evolving. Networking was coming of age. And that, that kind of experience there at the University of Utah as this learning bed for me provided, I think, a good um, taste for the art of the possible, being in on the ground floor in a university setting, and then moving over to the state, like I said, about 24 years ago, and getting to being able to serve with the governor of then the state of Utah, Mike Lovett, who enjoyed technology. And so it felt like it was a good transition for me to go from the University of Utah to a governor that really wanted to push the technology envelope, which pushed me in my position to, to find ways to be creative and and uh, fix things with the technology hammer that we were dealing with here at the state. And then, uh, of course, been in the governor's office in, in Utah. We centralized IT services about 12, 13 years ago and was folded into that new organization, but still in the governor's office. Being able to work closely with governors helped me to, uh, to see the priorities for the state and how to respond from a technology side. And until uh, about four years ago, uh, Governor Herbert asked me to be the state CIO. So it's it's been a great ride for me. I've I've learned a lot in my time in the governor's office, learning a little bit more about the politics side of things, but uh, certainly leaning on my long career in IT to understand the IT side of things. So it's been a great connection of both of those uh, to bring me into this position where it does require both uh, understanding the politics side and and understanding the IT side. Yeah, and I, I think that's really interesting. So the last guest that we had on the podcast, Fred Britton, the CIO of Maine, came from higher ed. And one of the things that, that we wanted to ask you about is sort of the differences and also the similarities between uh, higher ed and state government. Can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, at the time, higher ed uh, has a lot of disparate funding sources. There's grants that come from just about so many different locations. As a matter of fact, I remember we were kind of one of the earlier nodes on uh, ARPANET, to be honest. And so that kind of kept translating as we were moving into the internet age. We were getting NSF funding, National Science Foundation funding for our internet connection, which at the time, it's embarrassing to say, but it was a T3, so 45 megabits. But it was a lot of funding from the, this particular grant. And so there are all of these various grant sources and funding sources to do uh, unique things. And there wasn't a cohesive view, at least at the time. So I don't know if it was the university setting or maybe just the timing of technology in this industry, but it was a little disjointed. Here in Utah today, there's a, more of an enterprise vision 
it's more coalesced around what we're doing things as an enterprise. There are unique projects going on in the state. So you still feel like you're working with 29 different corporations, but still there's a cohesive view in the university setting that wasn't the case. And I think it was because of those various funding sources. And, you know, everybody had different agendas and trying to do their portfolio management their own way. But uh, that's the difference that I saw at the time making the jump. Now, I'm not sure what it's like at the University of Utah now, but I, I have a feeling it's maybe somewhat similar today. So when people ask us, you know, at NASIO, maybe it's a reporter or a corporate member or another CIO, what states are thinking about emerging technology and innovation? I know for me, at least, my first thought is always Utah. So um, I do want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing on that. But first, what is it about Utah or is it a culture that you guys have created there in the technology office that makes you guys so willing to try out cool new things and think outside the box? Uh, that's very flattering. Thank you for thinking of, of Utah. We think of ourselves as the beehive state. That's our motto. We are the beehive state. And what the takeaway there is that we're really trying to be busy as bees as we're working on the state's work. And we're very industrious here in the state. We like to get things done, both in the public and the private sector. So we're creating something called Silicon Slopes here in Utah, which is maybe a spinoff of the Silicon Valley. So we have great skiing and in the slopes of Utah and trying to attract that tech sector here to Utah has been kind of fun. We just had our Silicon Slopes Summit where we had maybe 25,000 attendees and uh, some great discussions. Even Mark Zuckerberg was here. And so it feels like we're trying to keep that momentum of this tech savvy community coming together and being at the same time industrious trying to consider the citizen as we think about emerging technologies. What are those things that we can do being industrious and being able to get things done, having a tech-savvy citizenry, and then bringing in outside help like Mark Zuckerberg coming here to speak to us about what his perspectives are. And so that really creates a culture in the state, I think, that allows us to get things done. There's sometimes an uphill battle where you have different agendas competing against each other, that kind of thing. And that occurs, but still, I think we're all about trying to uh, make things better in the state, trying to create this cooperative effort between agencies so that they can see the value of what occurs in what agency might benefit them and another. And so when we're doing things like with the Amazon Echo or something like that, there's value that can be leveraged from one agency to another. And and that cooperation between those agencies are, are some of the things that we're leveraging I like to think that we're doing some cool new things and we're willing to dip our toe in the water. We have a center of excellence for artificial intelligence and trying to think about cool new things that each agency might leverage to benefit themselves. We're really trying to consider the citizen and consider the technology that's available and, hey, create a work-life balance by skiing in these these great, beautiful slopes we have out here. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, what are some of the things that you guys are working on for citizens in Utah on, in the emerging tech space? Well, it's interesting. Uh, there's a, a lot of emerging tech right now, and uh, we're finding out ways to utilize some of that. One of the things that we're doing, we have a little bit of a pilot program with uh, voting, absentee voting on blockchain. We've tried that out in one county, and it seems to be very successful. Uh, There's actually proposed legislation that was discussed today talking about maybe online voting statewide, taking what we learned in that county on blockchain voting and expanding that to all the state. It might be a possibility, 
So there's certainly ways to overcome challenges that blockchain has brought in, but having that larger vision of how to apply it based on this proof of concept that we had in this county, it looks very promising. AI is another one that we're considering a lot of to simplify and and help make things more efficient in the state. Also with emerging technology, like with driverless vehicles, we're looking at connected vehicles and our infrastructure. So it's known as uh, V2I or vehicle to infrastructure kind of communication. So most of the newer cars coming today will be able to talk to infrastructure and it's incumbent on the state to provide that infrastructure so that you might think of ways to integrate AI with your traffic operations center. It helps you scale to meet the future demands as new growth is occurring in your state. You have kind of a set amount of infrastructure on the roads. How to best utilize that using AI really will help meet the demands of the future while at the same time keeping government as efficient as possible. So there's there's a couple of great use cases I'm excited about for both blockchain and, and AI. There's many more on the horizon, but we're kind of excited to see where these two go and, and see how we might pivot from there and, and use this technology beyond just the scope of these two projects. In some of our conversations before, you've talked about utilizing emerging technology and AI to improve digital government, citizens' interaction with government. Can you talk more about, you know, from an individual citizen perspective, some of the things that you guys are are trying to do to improve that experience? Sure. That is a great point. Get, getting back to the citizens driving a lot of what we do. One of those things, we implemented AI to do sentiment analysis with our feedback from the citizens where we were taking a lot of feedback channels through our chat bots, through messaging boards, where we could say, hey, how is the state doing? And we got a lot of responses, a lot of responses over new programs we were rolling out, that kind of thing. And to have someone read through that was really a challenge. I mean, we had so much feedback, we couldn't get through it all. So we applied some AI with sentiment analysis running through a cloud provider, and we're able to determine whether or not it was a positive feedback, negative feedback, or more of a neutral feedback. And we were able to get a better understanding of the direction we were going based on the sentiment that citizens were giving us, while at the same time not having to read in detail all of the feedback that we were getting. So we, we let AI do that for us, and we could start to say, hey, we've We've made this change. We changed our patch schedule or we've made this change with this particular website. What kind of feedback we're getting and is it positive, negative? And it allows us to pivot and respond to the citizens and at the same time allows us to be efficient with the thousands of messages that we receive and the messages that come to us from these various channels. It's really allowed us to pivot to be more responsive. Sure. Yeah, that's great. As my colleague Amy mentioned a little bit earlier, you are the co-chair of the NASIO Innovation <laughs> Forum. And yes. uh, I know innovation is important to states, especially in Utah. And some states are even going as far as hiring chief innovation officers. So just curious what innovation means to you and why should states care about it? And then the other part of this question is, do you see this trend of states hiring chief innovation officers as something that's going to continue to uh, exponentially multiply across the states, or do you see it as only being effective in a few different states? Great questions. So innovation for me means a lot of things, and I think states should notice that. I mean, the, the old days of doing things in the way that you used to do them forever is changing. Uh, technologies are coming into the market that will allow states to be more efficient, 
It'll allow them to engage citizens in the, the way that they want to be engaged, for instance, through an Amazon Echo or a, other digital personal assistants. And it allows the states to consider how best to serve the citizens. And so innovation for me is finding those applications of emerging technologies to improve citizens' lives or to, to help the agencies. For instance, it was about a year ago, we launched something called the Bill Watch app. And so it was an app that runs on your Apple Watch, allowing citizens who are up here during legislative session, being able to uh, track the bills that they're interested in all on their watch. And so it will give them notification, hey, your bill is up in this committee, in this room, or this was the vote on your bill just now. And so you get real-time updates on your watch. So you can just be at a glance looking at your watch and uh, getting an, an update to what's going on during the legislative session. Now that's really changed the way that citizens that are engaged in the state process and then engaged in legislative process can be more efficient in tracking that. So the innovation really is about the citizen and, and uh, how to engage the citizen better. And sometimes there's cost savings for the agency and for the state. For instance, we did conduct an analysis on moving applications online and the mantra there being, let's move citizens online rather than in line. So our DMV wait time is about eight minutes. And so if you ever want to come to Utah, you'll experience some really amazing wait times in our DMV. We should tout that more. We're seeing a cost savings because we've been moving those services online. So why states should care about that, if you're looking for ROI on your projects, you'll see a $13 per transaction savings because you're not hiring the people you need to or standing up a building for the citizens to come to, to engage the state, you can move all of those services online. So with that $13 per transaction, we conducted about 40 million transactions last year. So you, if you do the math, that's a substantial savings, $13 times that 40 million. States should care about that, that, those innovative things. So what we're doing now is trying to figure out how to move more of those transactions online to take advantage of those savings. And interestingly, so we're trying to do a study on really what those transactions are doing for the citizen. So the state should care about innovation and how it can be applied to the, the functions of government. And also how to do it better. A chief innovation officer might be helpful. I think it's certainly confusing for my job because I'm the CIO, the chief information officer, not the innovation officer, although sometimes I feel I wear two hats. But we do have um, some great folks in the state, our chief technology officer, our chief technology architect, others in the state that are, are really helping out in that space where a chief innovation officer might be playing. But certainly the folks we have today, I think, are taking up that role. But we are pushing our IT directors and others to, to look at emerging technologies and how they might adopt them, saving the agency's money, driving efficiencies within the agency. Our, one more point before I move off to the, the next topic, but our governor has challenged us to be 25% more efficient. And what we found is a lot of that efficiency comes because of adoption of technology. So not only we're we saving money, we're being more efficient and improving citizens' lives. And so if a, a chief innovation officer can help us identify the places we might improve, by all means, bring them in because we see the value uh, when we apply technology to to these state functions. So can other states benefit from that? Probably. I think we're structured in a way where we just, we have a chief innovation officer that's really that role spread across many within the organization. 
We haven't pivoted yet to just spelling out and calling an individual an innovation officer, but maybe that's on the horizon. We've we've just done a very good job with the way we're structured today. You know, you've heard Doug's old adage that you've seen one state, you've seen one state. (laughs) Yes. What what works in Utah may not work in Maine or, or, or New Hampshire. Clearly, you have innovation, uh, you know, ingrained in in you as well as the folks in your in your IT staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's 2020. We've got elections coming up. You talked a little bit about doing online elections, which you know, to lots of people, sounds a little risky. So, but I know that in Utah, you've been gearing up and talking about election security. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, that's paramount for us as security. Cybersecurity, the threats that states are dealing with, they're just growing exponentially and we have to respond. We uh, stood up a state cyber center last year just prior to our, our primary election because of the growth in threats that we were seeing, even just in the election space. And so our cyber center um, has allowed us to be more responsive, to be able to understand the threats coming at us and to share that technology across all the states. And so we bring the best and the brightest together, especially as we're ramping up for the election. We had a candidate jump into the race. When he jumped into that race, we saw our growth increase exponentially. And so to respond to those threats and to respond to the uh, the emerging new threats and the creative ways that these guys are are coming at your systems, Uh, you need to be able to be responsive. And so having our cyber center and then the partnerships that exist with uh, the Department of Homeland Security, with our public safety entities, with the FBI and others that are bringing resources to the table to help thwart the many difficult attempts to break into systems, it really does take a lot of cooperative effort. And also to share that intelligence with other states. That's one place where I think we as states have done a very good job of sharing intelligence with these election ISACs that are stood up. There's a lot of information and intel sharing that occurs leading up to the election, election night, and even after the election. And so there's a lot of things that we do uh, to share that intel. And it's been very refreshing to see that there's so many focused on this because of the increasing threats that we're seeing. So again, we, we see a lot in that space. I think it's just going to get worse. And so the states need to have their best and brightest working on these fronts. And that's certainly what Utah is focused on. Right. Yeah, I know it's definitely going to be top of mind this year for not only CIOs, but secretaries of state and state law enforcement and Homeland Security and FBI, like you said, too. Yes. Okay. So this is kind of a hard pivot, but (laughs) um, (laughs) since we've talked about all the hard stuff, we like to do something we call the lightning round. Uh So it's a little bit lighter hearted. I'm going to ask you (laughs) a few rapid fire questions and you'll give me a few rapid fire answers. Ready? Okay. Fantastic. So number one, favorite sports team? Oh, without question, the University of Utah football team, the Utes. All right. (laughs) Number two, favorite thing to do outside the office? Go to University of Utah football games. (laughs) (laughs) We are season ticket holders. We love going to these football games. I always say it's the closest thing you can get to heaven. Nice. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And number three, fill in the blank. People are surprised to know that I... Uh, Like reggae music. Okay. (laughs) I I spend a little time in Jamaica, just uh, love reggae music. And a lot of people say that doesn't fit me, but I love it. It's one of my favorite music. 
uh, yeah. genres ever. It's hard not to love reggae music and Bob Marley. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, Mike, it has been fantastic talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. I appreciate it being on today. Thanks again, Mike. All right. We'll see you. Thanks again for listening to Nasio Voices. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks for subscribing. And if you would like to leave a review, we'd really appreciate it.